Hello, friends. Do you live in one of those states that has lifted or will lift the state mandate for wearing masks and other restrictions? How does this make you feel? Is it too early? Will you wear a mask regardless? Are you going to get the vaccine? If not, why? Now, I'm no expert, but I think it's way too early in Wyoming to lift the mask mandates and health restrictions on March 15th, I do believe. Last time I checked the stats, Wyoming has 12% of the population vaccinated, not nearly enough for herd immunity. I really think the case numbers will spike after the 15th of March and not come down till mid-April because by then, a good chunk of the population will be vaccinated. Now, I hope I'm wrong and I will gladly admit it when I am wrong. Today's guest is Macy Madrid, the first sibling of a podcast interview I did earlier in the season. Marcus Madrid, go check it out if you haven't listened to it already. Macy works in the restaurant industry. She has for many years now and has held all sorts of different positions. There's so much we don't know about what it takes to get our food to us after we order it, or even the process it takes to get the right food ordered for the restaurant. We're going to get to that in the interview. But first, are you listening to cbjradio.com yet? It's a free internet radio station, brand new shows every day. Shows range from hip-hop shows to rock shows to all-independent artist shows to a Friday night request show. And don't forget about retro Saturday nights. Make cbjradio.com the only internet radio station you listen to. Now let's get to that interview. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition of All My Friends with Justin Flaskrew. Today's guest is Macy Madrid, my actual first sibling of a podcaster, of of an interview that happened earlier in the season. So I got to ask you this question, like I ask everybody else, where were you born and raised? Uh, Laramie, Wyoming. And did you, is that where your parents met? Are they native Laramieites? Are they Wyomingites? Yep. Uh, my parents were both born, raised in Laramie. And then when I was born, I was technically born in Laramie, but we lived in Hannah for the first like four and a half years of my life. Do you have any memories of Hannah at all growing up there? Or I mean, four years, that's, I don't remember anything. I only remember this one little girl my mom used to babysit and I have no idea who she is. Yeah. She always set, set up my little play tent so I could watch Harry and the Hendersons or La Bamba every day. And she would always pee in my tent. Did you say pee in your tent? Yep. <laughs> every day at nap time. And that's the only thing I remember about Hannah, Wyoming. Oh, and that there's snakes in the park, or there were. That would freak me out. I'm not a snake guy by any means. I grew up in Oregon, suburb of Portland, and uh, it's mountains, not mountains, forest and everything there. And there are lots, tons of gardener snakes, but I don't know the difference between as a kid between a gardener snake and a cobra. You know, it's, they're all the same to me. So I developed a very, very thick fear of snakes. And yeah, I'm not a fan of snake. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, so I couldn't imagine uh, seeing that in a park as a kid. I guess I had my traumatic experience. They would just go through. They would always be uh, in that tall grass between my house and my friend's house. And so once the grass got tall, you couldn't tell where the snakes were. And you'd start them and they take off. So yep. side story there. But uh, so Hannah, you lived there for about four years. Not a lot of memories. Yeah. But then you get to Laramie. So yeah. What do you remember about growing up in Laramie? Were you in tons of activities? Were you a rebellious kid? Were you like a straight A student? Like- um, I mean, I did all right in school. I didn't do a lot of like extracurricular activities in like elementary, junior high. Um, my asthma was so bad that I couldn't do sports. And I spent a decent amount of time like in and out of the doctor's office and in hospitals and stuff. But then once I got into high school. Um, you know, I was in Amnesty International. I helped start a club called Peace Jam. 
at the high school. Um, I played tennis. Nice. Yeah. So you got your asthma under control to play tennis. I give me maybe spurts. Yeah. No, it definitely takes some training. That's for sure. Um, between that, they had me playing a trumpet when I was younger to help teach me how to do like breath work. Yeah. So I think that helped a lot. Did you did you stick with trumpet like, or was it just purely for the the asthma stuff? Um, I stuck with it through junior high. I actually still have it. It's in my spare room. I'm not very good at it anymore, but I can't bring myself to get rid of it. I, that was the first instrument I tried. Like, you know, you had band or choir and it was kind of, it was growing up in Oregon and you got tired of singing in the choir all the time. So you want to play an instrument. Turns out a lot harder than it is. And you yeah. have to work in, you have to actually put the work in and I never did. I had a trumpet too. And I don't remember anything about it. And now I'm trying to play guitar and yes, definitely a lot harder than it looks to me, but now I have <laughs> such more respect for guitar players and such. And so, um, are you, I know I already mentioned that you have a sibling or is there any more siblings in your clan? There is, uh, Morgan's the oldest. Um, she's about, I want to say nine and a half years older than me. Wow. And then Marcus, the one you had on, he's like eight years older than me. Wow. That's yeah, a, quite a bit of an age gap. <laughs> I feel it. Uh, my younger sister is 11 years younger than me. So I understand. Okay. Yeah, well, like half sister, stepdad, mom's kid. Um, but yeah, and my older sister is six years older than me. I kind of have my own, and I'm the only boy in all my siblings so i kind of had my own childhood growing up it was different yeah. to anybody else's that i knew in in our family and one family i'm the youngest and and then another family i'm the middle um but as my sisters will all say you're the favorite and i'm like because i'm not a girl like i'm not yeah, like anybody else i'm different you know i don't my mom raised two independent women and they they fight with my mom all the time. I'm, she didn't raise an independent woman with me. She raised an independent man. <laughs> and so we're always good. I mean, we have our moments, all, you know, of course. but yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I don't really fight with my mom. Like my sisters do and everything. And so as siblings, like, did you guys get along well? Or were you just like tagging along all the time? Or do you even remember, you know? Um, I remember like bits and pieces of Marcus being around when I was younger, like holidays, birthdays and stuff. But I don't remember having like an actual like conversation with him until I was like 12. Huh? Wow. Like if he had, if he had to babysit me, he'd pretty much be like, here, watch this movie. And then you can invite a friend over and don't bother me. Uh, yeah. I understand. But then <laughs> the movies he would make me watch though, were like clockwork orange and apocalypse now. And I was like six or seven and I try and give him a hard time about it now. And he was like, oh, look at it. You turned out fine. Yeah. I, I watched a lot of Full House. I mean, so I watched I, Full House too, yeah. but definitely two different ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. I remember my little sister, I don't always thank her for this, uh, dragged me. She's like, let's go to a movie. I want to watch this one. It's called The Big Lombowski. It has bowling in it. And I'm like. That's awesome. I'm like, Sure. Whatever. I, our age differences. Yes. 11 years. I am in this, this aisle just dying, laughing, loving the movie. What's one of my favorites still? And she's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, you will later. <laughs> you will watch later. It like five years. Yeah. You'll understand. And so to the day, yeah, I thank her for dragging me to that movie. I just wasn't feeling it. And it's one of my favorites now. And so, yeah, I did a lot of babysitting uh, as, as an older sibling a lot. And so once Marcus was out, you kind of had your own your own childhood in your yeah house. i i had free reign but morgan and marcus were so much older than me that uh i didn't really you know i kind of had my own childhood anyways because by the time i was old enough to like start doing stuff they were you know in their teen years and you know going out to do their high school kid thing and they don't want their little sister and her annoying little friend bebopping around behind them you know true I was there. I was that guy. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and and I didn't know I was I cre- I was such an idol to my little sister till much later in life and she told me and stuff like that. I didn't I didn't think of it. My mom would tell me all the time and I'd be like, whatever. You know, she'll be fine. Yeah, you're you're like, just you're, mom. You're a little she's like, your little sister idolizes you. And we're really good friends, you know, to the day and everything. Um, but as we all get older and you know, the age differences gets a lot shorter when later in life as opposed yeah. to being like 18 and 10 stuff like you know like that and so but we'll go back to now you're in high school you're talking about how you got you started your own club now what was that club about um so peace jam i started it with a couple of the teachers and a couple other members at the high school and it um was kind of along, along the lines of amnesty international but it let you work with nobel peace prize laureates so you do what they'd call like peace projects. So you'd plan out this big thing of like one big project you were going to do to help your community. And then uh, you would go present them to this at this place. It was it, always in Denver at DU mm-hmm. and you would present it to whichever Nobel laureate that was on the board of Peace Jam was at the conference at that time. So um I can't now I can't remember the lady's name the first year I met, but I met uh, Desmond Tutu and got to sit down and chat with him for a while one night. And then uh, we had the 10 year anniversary of Peace Jam in Denver. This was I don't even know, maybe 2007. And it was the largest gathering of Nobel laureates on the U.S. soil. And the Dalai Lama was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, they were all kind of mingling around and stuff. And on the topic of the big Lebowski, uh, Jeff Bridges was there with the guy that he modeled Lebowski after because he that guy had made some sort of documentary that he was premiering to all these people. And Jeff Bridges thought that I was somebody else at one point in time and spit at me and flipped me off. Whoa. Not cool. And then he later apologized. (laughs) Wow. I can't, I can't imagine anybody getting that kind of reaction out of Jeff Bridges, even though that wasn't you that he thought it was, but that's interesting. Yeah, it was wild. Wow. I like, I never heard of poet laureates until my thirties. Like it's sad. I'm really sad. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea there was such a thing. And I think one came to, to the university of wyoming and we covered it with video and then interviewed him and I, I was, it was a big deal and i was like wow this is a big deal and then got to know learn more and now i hear you talk about it and i was like of course it was a big deal like they're <laughs> like poetry is 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 amazing and it's an art and and uh it, i'm glad there's a, a kind of a hierarchy to it being the best of the best yeah and such yeah and, and, a, and a lot of these ones weren't the poet laureates they're the like nobel peace prize laureates. okay wow yeah. Even, amazing like yeah to, to have both titles to, to have yeah. nobel peace prize and a poet laureate. wow that's amazing that's a big conference it was it was crazy um there was people from all across the world there and i was at that point in time i had already graduated high school so I went back and I was one of the like mentors of the conference as opposed to being one of the students, um, which was awesome because it gave us uh, a little bit more like mingling time with the Nobel laureates and stuff like that. Um, I actually had the chance to meet the Dalai Lama. I just saw him walking through um, the campus at DU and I gave him Pop Rocks. And he giggled at them, and it was adorable. Nice. He seems like a guy that would giggle at Pop Rocks. Yeah, he's he's a super adorable dude. I always told my mom, like, after it happened, I was like, I wish I could just, like, shrink him down and keep him in my pocket all the time. Like, he's just always so happy. A mini Dalai Lama to make you happy. Pocket yeah. Lama. Pocket, Pocket Lama. <laughs> and so did you obviously i'm gonna ask this question did you did you write your own poetry do you still write poetry nope um i used to do like a lot of creative writing and stuff like that but i poetry was never really a strong suit unless you count haikus (laughs) 
I write haikus all over the place, but yeah, yeah, I write them on accident, like Wayne and Garth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, um, it's so you didn't wow, but you got involved with poetry and you didn't and, and you didn't write any poetry. That's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I love music yeah. and I'm a DJ, but I don't know how to play any of it. And I've gone to a lot of concerts, but I still don't know how to play my own. So it's probably kind of the same, you know, you respect the, the art form yeah. of it and everything. Um, so yeah, something it, you're interested in that you can't necessarily do. And in high school, like, were you straight A student, rebellious? Did you work? Like, what were you into about that age? I I had pretty good grades. I worked um, for my brother, actually. Uh, we worked together at the University of Wyoming Concessions and then also uh, in the union at that food court that was there for a long time. I don't know if it's oh, still yeah. is. Um, and rebellious, yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a, a touch of that. <laughs> um, did you find that rebelliousness got got in the way of the grades or you knew how to judge juggle both nope i was pretty pretty all right um i kept up with my extracurriculars and you know still kept my grades decent and was able to get you know a, a little bit more like the parents trust to leave the house more often to be unsupervised yeah, when you have two older siblings, they kind of either lower the bar so much or they set it really high. Like I think my, Morgan and Marcus just wore them out. Wore them out. That's what I did with my older sister and I definitely wore out my parents for my younger sister. She got away yeah. with everything, I thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was great. Definitely. Definitely. And like I remember and like actually when I moved back to Wyoming um, from New York. She was a senior in high school and teenage girls, man. They she had a lip on her. Yeah. And a few times she was talking to my parents disrespectfully. And I had to put her in her place because I they're my parents yeah. too and everything. And yeah, it was interesting uh to see how much they let go by that age. And so right, just don't uh, care. Yeah, worn down and such. But at least you kind of kept it up on the schooling and, and such. Uh, did you know what you want to do when you finished high school, when you graduated high school? I wanted to be a chef. Oh, wow. Were you, were you working on that in high school? Yeah, I, um, was on the culinary team in high school and we competed in Jackson. And then, I mean, that's all I've ever done is kitchen work. So culinary team. All right. I don't yep. think that existed when I was in high school. Uh, tell me about that. Um, so it was a, what is it? it was called pro start and, uh, they just go through and they teach you like it was a culinary class, you know, like they got us serve safe certified. They taught us all of our knife cuts, knife skills, like basic sauces and stuff like that. Um, we'd have to do rest, like they'd give us a recipe, you know, and we'd have to go budget out what we wanted to buy Well, quote unquote buy from the school store. And it was like a fancy home ec pretty much that you had to wear a hot coat in. Wow. And, and yeah. so did they teach you all the positions in the kitchen and such? Um, sort of, kind of, I feel, I don't know. The longer I've, been like in the food and beverage industry i've learned that like the things they teach you at culinary school are very different to what you the experience you get on the line and so like they told us about all of the different positions and different titles you can have but it's never really come into play a whole lot in any of the places i've worked yeah and so wow i mean i, I there's not many people I run into life that know what they wanted to do um, in high school like that. Um, I certainly didn't. I barely could tie my shoes by the time I was graduating high school. So I was, you know, um, it was it on to culinary school or was it on to just the kitchen to learn? 
Nope, just onto the kitchen to learn. And um, I was doing concessions, and then I just yeah, I worked at concessions for the university, and then I was still at uh, the food court for a while, which definitely isn't high quality culinary food. But then um, I started just doing a lot of my own reading about it, researching and stuff. And then I ended up at the library in Laramie for 10 years. And in that 10 years, I moved and uh, worked in Yellowstone a couple times in uh, the Canyon Village kitchen in West Yellowstone at in a kitchen. I moved to San Diego for a while and was in a kitchen there. <coughs> what, what, what do you think drew you into cooking? Like what... Were you just experimenting in your own kitchen at home? Was your mom, your parents, great cooks and such? Um, I, I mean, my mom's a really good cook. I, uh, I just liked cooking always. And then when my brother and sister would babysit me when I was little, um, one of our older cousins lived with us for a while too. And they'd always put on this cooking show called Yawn Can Cook. And I think that that had something to do with it because, yeah, a lot of times now I think about it like, if Jan can cook, you can cook. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and and what what meal do you think you perfected first? Like, it takes some skill, not like in boiling water or anything. Oh, man. I don't even know. Probably the thing that I started making the most and the most consistent was uh, just enchiladas with my mom. Um, we do that every year for Christmas, just a big feast, you know? So it was hours upon hours of getting the prep work done and then standing there rolling enchiladas. And Wow. Yeah. And uh, so I did, how do you, I mean, how do you prepare for cooking for large amounts of people? Like, I cook for two. That seems like a lot. See, and I have trouble cooking for just two people. <laughs> um, yeah, because at concessions and then, you know, like family events. And then even at the library, we did a lot of caterings. And it's just, for me, it's a lot of sitting down and writing myself lists of, I need to have this done at this time. I need to order in this much of this and this, you know, like, it's just a lot of notes to myself to keep me in check pretty much. And do you, do you automatically, I mean, when you know what to buy right away, okay, I got 50 people. Do you go out and buy it? Or I guess at restaurants, you, do you set the, do you go out and purchase stuff too as being part of that kitchen? Yeah. Um, we had our food purveyors, you know, that we'd order stuff in from, but I did so many caterings to the library, you know, that if I have something and I know it's for, X amount of people, like if they want mashed potatoes or something like that, you know, something easy, you, you kind of learn how many people you can feed out of what size pan and, you know, how much goes into it. It's just like everything else. It just takes a lot of practice. And did you, I mean, okay. So you're back, you start in the kitchen, kind of reminding you back. Um, where's the first spot you generally start at? Are you, are you, are you, when you first started? prep cook. I don't, I don't know the positions that well. Um, well at the library, we'll just talk about there. I was there okay. the longest. Uh, yeah. I started actually because Marcus moved to Jackson hole and instead of interviewing to hire somebody, they just kind of replaced one Madrid with another <laughs> and his job. But I started, um, washing dishes. And then from there it was over the years working, the saute grill pizza station, and then eventually becoming the uh, kitchen manager. And I, wow. That's, I guess if you stick in a kitchen long enough, if you're good at what you do, you should excel up the, the spots. Uh, what yeah. was the hardest position you thought? Um, I guess it depends on, on the task you're doing. Um, on like game day weekends and stuff, everything online is definitely not easy. It's all real fast paced. You have to be organized in what you're doing, you know, and it gets, it gets pretty hectic, but then, um, kitchen managing, you know, you have to be in charge of the schedule, all the ordering special orders, your specials for the week. You know, you got to try and keep your food costs down and everything like that. 
I, I, I guess I was slightly involved with the kitchen at Lovejoy's just because I brought my equipment through there all the time as a DJ and hung out with all those guys. So I got to learn, well, the bitching side of it. And, yeah, uh, and, the, part of it. and they, um, the, just be able to keep, um, people in the kitchen and hired. That was yeah. the side of it. Um, it's a struggle. Um, you have to have a certain type of, certain type of, I don't know, work ethic along with a certain amount of crazy to be able to stick it out through a kitchen. It's a lot of long, long days, long hours, you know, on your feet and hot temperatures, most likely getting yelled at about something. <laughs> I always notice in, in time sensitive jobs, um, you, you get it. You're like, all right, I did that in five minutes. And they're like, okay, next time we went in four. Yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm sure you got that a lot. Like, oh yeah, a, you know, a set time of how long you want things to go out, you know, so it was always a kind of a race against the clock. Make sure you weren't pissing anybody off. Now for, I mean, people order food as I start over my words, people order food and I don't think they realize like the timing it takes to get everything on your plate. So it's not cold. Um, yeah, that's, that's yeah, a struggle talk, for a lot of people. Like talk about something like that. Like say someone's got burger, fries, cold sauce, something like, how would you keep that organized in the kitchen as, as you're working on that plate? So like <clears throat> that actually used to be, we'd give our uh, cooks menu tests and that was actually something that I'd put on there. Like if you get an order with fish and chips, which takes eight minutes, you get a pizza that cooks for about eight to nine minutes, but you have to prepare it. You know, if your burgers tempt out, that changes it. You can, you know, put the side down pretty much whenever and then reheat it back up. But yeah, you just kind of have to, once you're at a place long enough, you kind of learn how long everything takes to cook. And then usually one person will have one ticket and they can see everything. And so you can kind of base off that, what needs to go down first, what needs to go down second, you know, like, and if there's an appetizer, anything like that. See, I want to bring that up because people don't get that. the average person that sits down in a restaurant does not understand that side of it. They only see like the server side and the servers do great work, but they don't yep. even they understand the kitchen side at all where, well, quote unquote, where the magic really happens. And so you'll yeah. need to learn that side of it. And I think they would develop a little more respect for the process. You know, and or just a little bit more patience. Exactly. exactly. Especially on like on the busier nights, you know, like you might come in for lunch one day and you're one of three people. So you get your food really fast, but then you come in for dinner and you know, there's a full restaurant. Your, your food's going to take a little bit longer, if not significantly longer to get to you. It's like, not only are there tickets in front of you, but you know, your, your equipment's kind of cooling off. Yeah. Um, so when you transitioned, when you when you left Laramie for the first time to work in another restaurant, what was that like? In Yellowstone, it was yeah. it was awesome. Um, Canyon Village is at the time they told us the biggest kitchen in the state of Wyoming. I don't know if that's still true. Um, the first summer I was there, I started out as just a cafeteria cook, and then they bumped me up to the mid-shift sous chef. Right. So you had like the pantry, the employee dining room, the actual dining room, the cafeteria, the deli, like all of those little components that I had to wash after throughout the night. And then, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The second summer I was up there, I was just like the uh, back of house cafeteria manager. I had applied for the employee dining room chef job, but my brother got it instead of me. And would you guys both work there at the same time or did you bring him and he got the job? I brought him up there. Um, my first summer I went up there by myself. Um, my cousin was working up there and he'd convinced me to come up, but he was um, at Old Faithful and I was in Canyon Village. So, you know, that's 
it does on a map, it doesn't look like it's that far, but when you get stuck in bison jams and you can only go 30 miles an hour, it takes a little while. So I was pretty much on my own. And then Marcus knew how much fun I had that first summer. And so I kept bugging him and bugging him and he decided to come with me that second summer. And we, we had an absolute blast. Yeah. Uh, so uh, your cousin got you into that job or did you find it online and apply or, I mean, how'd you get set up with that job? Um, so all of the things up there are run through like concessionaires. So at the time it was between, um, Zantara and Delaware North. And so I just got on, it was like go Yellowstone jobs or something like that and just applied. And it gives you the option to click like the three jobs you like the most, you know, and because a lot of people pick up like these national park jobs just as a way for a lot of people to come to America or to, you know, when they get out of high school, just like a little adventure to go on before they start college. And so, yeah, I just kind of got online and applied for it and then they sent me a packet in the mail like three weeks later wow that's cool yeah. i to i mean to follow your passion and stay in the state of well kind of in wyoming up to yellowstone is fun i mean it sounds great and so you, that's a seasonal job so you end up coming back to laramie did they hold your job we still the library then oh yes um actually every time i left laramie and came back my job at the library was waiting oh that's cool yeah, so I left to go to Yellowstone twice, and then I moved to West Yellowstone for a while, and then moved to San Diego for a while from there, and then went back to the library, and my job was still there. So what took you to San Diego? Um, Friends. And not Wyoming winters. Well, yeah. I always said, after I went to San Diego... I was like, uh, I could live here. And if I did, I would circle back around Big Lombowski. I would be like the Big Lombowski. I would have dropped out of life. I would have found some easy just to get me by in life. Probably surfed a lot. Just the weather there is amazing and people seem cool. I, I totally would have not been productive living in San Diego. It's hard to be productive there because that's what it, the weather's so nice all the time and you know, you just kind of, it kind of just feels like every hour is happy hour yeah. and you should just be like sitting at the bar, having a cocktail, like watching the surfers, hanging out, you know. And where did you work out there? I worked at a restaurant bar called Maloney's. It's not there anymore. Hmm. There used to be one in Denver too. And well, how far, where was that in San Diego? How close to the beach? Where were you set up in San Diego since we're talking about all the nice I lived in, uh, in Pacific Beach. Oh. Wow. Um, where my house was, I probably lived, I don't know, 10, 12 blocks from the beach, I'd say. Um, it was definitely within walking distance. And then from where we lived to the beach, you hit through like the downtown area of PB. So there's always stuff to do along the way if you wanted to make that trek. And then I worked, uh, Maloney's was downtown um, in the gas lamp district. Yeah. And it doesn't, the skyline looks like screw, uh, it doesn't look like a toolbox. Is that right? About San Diego? I don't know. Maybe. I think I've heard that. Yeah. It's got like a uh, flathead, uh, definitely uh, Phillips. There's another tool in there. Huh, I, I've never heard that. Maybe I'll yeah. Google it later. Yeah, I think that's it is. I may be wrong. Uh, we, I worked at a summer camp in New York, and to get the kids to keep coming back, and then a lot of them were, they were rich. They would take them on uh, trips to California. The older kids, uh, like the tenth graders, and I was in charge of the oldest kids for the last couple of years. So we in San Diego. I went a few times for my job. I got paid to go to San Diego and watch kids. Man, I, so I probably. I probably heard that on a um, tour of San Diego, a bus tour. Like, oh, we'd that always makes get, sense. We'd always get those. And like, it's really hard to keep 10th graders attention on a bus half the time. Um, and so like, but it kept my attention. And another one was, um, gosh, they talked about a place that had fresh fish tacos. And that, I mean, that was the first time I had like fish tacos. Like, uh. I did not think, 
fish and taco were like a thing. And I was oh, like, what amazing. am I thinking? Tacos, of course. Like Mexico has beaches. Of course, there's got to be fish. Why am I not putting this together now? And in San Diego, there were some of the best tacos I've ever had. I like fish a lot. So, yeah. I do too. It yeah. Really good. The hotel, that big hotel, Del Mar. Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We go see that and stuff. I mean, the touristy things and everything. And they, we spent a lot of time in LA and stuff like that. I can't believe we were out there. It felt like a couple days, but yet we got a lot done seeing San Diego and LA. And then later in life, not later in life, oh, yeah, I visited my friend out there um, and stayed a week, surfed all week long, like body surfed, not body surfed, boogie boarded. Oh, I love boogie boarding. I had long hair and it was the best my hair ever looked long <laughs> just because the beach water and everything. Oh yeah. And uh, the moment I came back, I cut it all off. I was well, I talked to people and took a survey and said, cut my hair, keep it. Every girl said, cut it. Every guy said, keep it. And so that I sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and I experimented with long hair here and there, but shorter hair has probably been the better look and it's more easy, easier to take care of unless oh, I had a yeah. beach like San Diego to grow it long again, I would definitely do that. So what brought you back to Laramie after San Diego? Oh, a lot of stuff. It was, uh, just some, some roommate, roommate drama and things, you know, and I just, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work out for me right then. I still go back all the time. I still see my friends that live there. Um, I actually, whenever I go, I plan it around Taco Tuesday. So I get there early in the morning on a Tuesday so I can have tacos for dinner. And then I won't leave until later in the afternoon the next Tuesday. Nice. That's a good, good plan there. Yeah. I, yeah you know, I just, I mean, I didn't make it in New York, I guess. I came back to Laramie. It seems to boomerang you back. It does. Yeah. It just sucks you back in. And so... But yeah, and then I don't know if you were like me when I moved back to Laramie. I was like five years, and then I'm out of here, and it's almost eighteen years now, and I'm not out. Yeah, of mine here. was. I kept telling myself one year, and then it was God. I don't think I left for like another seven. Yeah. And now I'm hoping that I don't go back. Oh, you got a good thing. Where are you at now? I'm in uh, Ennis, Montana. And how and why did you go there? Um, we were actually, my boyfriend and I hired on to work at a fine dining restaurant. Um, and we did that the first summer we were up here and then it just didn't work out. And my boyfriend was working at this little bistro that I just started at a couple of weeks ago. And then I also work part-time at the grocery store here in the deli. Nice. Um, so where is that in Montana? Southern, Eastern, Northwest? So we are, let's see, about 45 minutes southwest of Bozeman. Okay. And like, I think it's 76 miles northwest of West Yellowstone, the West Gate of Yellowstone. I have a sad thing to admit. I've surrounded Yellowstone, I think on all sides, but never been in. Oh, man. Yellowstone's awesome, but I will say that all of the tourists kind of ruin it. They, I think that's a big reason why I've kind of held off. It's like I've seen video, I've seen a lot of things, and I know you got to see in person, but I was like, I've seen the video of just bumper to bumper people. Oh, people, yeah. People thinking it's a petting zoo. Uh, I mean, I'm just like, oh, I don't know about Yellowstone, but yet TA hasn't gone either. So uh, now, once we get out of the pandemic, hopefully we'll hit up Yellowstone soon. Yeah. Then you can come on over and visit us. Definitely, definitely. I, I mean, you got you. I know some people that live more towards um, northern uh, Montana. Is it what's up there? There's a isn't there a national park? Glacier. Glacier. I, I wanted to say glacier, but I didn't think it was right. I have a buddy lives like right on the edge of glacier. Sells real estate. Worked there for a long time. Oh, that's cool. He was on the podcast. I grew up with him in Oregon. Never thought he'd end up in Montana, which is cool. Like, and everything like that. Um, so one thing Marcus and I talked about, and I want to applaud your mom about it and, and not be everyone can see it. I'm wearing a macho man, Randy Savage shirt, <laughs> um, wrestling. 
Yes. Uh, are you a you're a wrestling fan like the rest of the Madrids? Is even your I, older sibling a wrestling fan? Um, I think Morgan just kind of watches it because Marcus, and my mom, and I are interested in it. Um, I think my dad's the same way. He just wants something to do with the kids, you know, and something to chat about. And I've been awful since I moved to Montana like a year and a half ago. I haven't been keeping up with hardly anything, but that did not stop me from going to work dressed as Macho Man Randy Savage on Halloween. Yes. So what do you think got, besides your mom and your brother, obviously it's a pretty hard sell there, but what was the match, maybe the wrestler that got you like, I'm in, was it Macho or is it someone else? Um, I always really liked Macho. Uh, my One of my best friends growing up, Rihanna, she was also really into wrestling. And her and I were big fans of Jericho oh, yeah. and uh, Disco Inferno. Yes. Glenn, yep. Piero, Betty. Those were dudes. I was, I think I got into wrestling because Portland wrestling, where I grew up, was first. And my stepsister, and she always hates that I tell people this, that she got me watching it. She was my stepsister at the time. But we watched, started watching Saturday Night Portland Wrestling, which is bingo hall wrestling. And I hadn't even heard of or thought knew of this WWF thing. And mm -hmm. so that went on for a couple months. We even go and watch. It was cheap tickets and stuff. And next thing you know, like WWF starts popping up more and more. And it's this glossier, like larger than live production as opposed to portland wrestling and yeah i was hooked on both and i my parents probably sent me straight early and they encouraged it they never really poo-pooed the idea um i'm sure there were times where i was less of a fan but i i can't remember not being a fan yeah and i got to see like my first wwf now it's wwe match was macho man was there and that's again, awesome he wrestled uh tito santana no Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It was during that time period. And, yeah. And it was when they came, the wrestlers came out a real tiny entrance. So you could like slap their shoulders. Then you hit Macho's shoulder. Like I, I must oh, have been awesome. a strange kid because I was cheering for bad guys almost right off the bat. It seemed like I mean, that was a mark for some of the That's good guys. I was a lot. Yeah. And like the highlight of that night was a cage match between the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. And I, I, Ugh. I I've always I was, been a big Bret Hart fan. But I think I was more of a Bret Hart fan during the Hart Foundation than I was a singles wrestler. I don't know what, what it was about him as the, the tag guy that I like so much more about the singles guy because eventually I became I was a Sting fan and they had the same move after a while. So yep. I was not uh, into that one. I was like, oh, whatever, Bret. But, you know, I, they're both amazing wrestlers, Hall of Famers and all that. And uh, but yeah, Sting was probably the first good guy wrestler I definitely marked out to. Watching him wrestle Ric Flair was in a Clash of the Championship match was like the sinker of that one. I was in and been a Sting oh, fan awesome. since. And then Randy Orton has been my favorite because I love that. I can't, I can't switch. find Randy yeah. Orton. What's that? I just can't get behind Randy Orton. Yeah. Like, I appreciate him as a wrestler, but just like, I don't know his, his persona, his, I'm not sure if he's even like in character, if that's just him as a person, but like, there's just something really off putting about him to me. <laughs> I do believe he, I, I'm sure. I think he dials into the guy he used to be when like the whole locker room hated him and such. And I can but, see that. But I think, I mean, from what I've heard in a lot of interviews and such, like, every great star like puts like he's hard work he's such a nice guy behind the scenes and all this stuff like and so i'm like okay but i do like the i don't know if he's going to rko you or not well kind of vibe yeah. from him. and he he'll wrestle anybody and he's one of those guys they put the belt on him so many times 14 times that he doesn't have to be a champion to be to get a reaction to be who he is yeah yeah and i like that about him and yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, stuck with him through thick and thin, all that stuff. So I can't wait till he passes Ric Flair on titles, but we'll see about that one. Yeah, we'll see um, if they let that happen. <laughs> so who currently, I know you haven't paid attention, who currently is your probably favorite? I mean, when I was, uh, right before I left Laramie and I was watching a lot, 
I was on uh, Team Becky Lynch, Seth Rollins. It was, I think they they might have just started dating right before I left, maybe. Um, I always joked that uh, my dog's favorite wrestler was uh, Finn Balor, because every time he'd come on screen, she'd like look at the TV and like her ears would move around and stuff. <laughs> nice. I have a picture I was of Carl, my cat, when I per- first put wrestling yeah. on around him. And it was, I was watching a old Hogan versus Sting match and he was, it's on Facebook and he's chasing them on the screen. Like he's trying to touch. Oh, that's awesome. It cracked me up. Yeah. He never does that. I mean, now that doesn't happen anymore, but it was at the time. Yeah. He's just used to it. Yeah. Now he's just used to wrestling being on all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Becky Lynch. Yeah. She just had a kid. And, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I'm, I'm. I, 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 Seth Rollins is one of my favorite wrestlers to watch. His current gimmick yeah. sucks, I think, but I, I think he's one of the best. I've heard wrestlers that. It makes me happy that I'm not watching it right now. Yeah, I don't think you would like his character. I thought they had a chance because he left for you know Be- Becky had the baby. Um, he left screen for a while, and I was like, okay, they can revamp that, that stupid storyline. And when he gets back and we can get back to like a Seth Rollins we like and kind of came back the same thing-ish. And I was like, no, no. Mm. Because like Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns would be some great matches and Seth could be the face in that one. It would. Yeah. And Seth versus AJ, Seth versus Randy, like Seth versus a lot of guys is like out of the, um, what are they called? What was their group called with Roman Reigns and? Oh, the. Uh, why do I want to say dog pound? <laughs> I, I have no idea why that's going to and I'm wrong. Um, gosh, Jimbo and I did this, and then it took the end of, end of the interview where we had we actually remember the guy's name. Ty Dillinger was the wrestler we couldn't remember. Oh. <laughs> and, um, gosh, what was it? Might have to. But yeah, out of that group, I was like, it took me a while to get on to Seth Rollins because I hated that streak of blonde. But it used to I understand that completely. It was it stupid. To, I was like, what's the purpose of that? And then the the more, the more he grew it out, got rid of it, and he became a better wrestler. And I was always like, damn, I'll watch Seth wrestle anytime. And so, yeah, about still, I'm still Randy guy and everything. And I can't wait for Becky to get back. That'll be, that'll be good. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And wow, we've kind of... I had been watching a lot of uh, heavy machinery before I moved. I was really digging those guys. I think WWE is doing uh, some weird stuff where, like, they put these tag teams together and in, like, NXT, and they... You're, you get used to being a tag team and then they break them up and then they put them back in a tag yeah. team again. And so I'm just like, uh, what are you doing? Like they did it with heavy machinery. They did it with game. And so, yeah, they don't know. Like uh, Jimbo and I, we were talking about, they go, they think wrestling fans, we reboot our brains at in a month. Like, Oh, all that storyline's gone. Nope. We were supposed to forget yeah, that. Yeah. Right. And Let's just start all over. And we don't. Like, I have the longest memory of, of, of for a wrestling fan, a lot of us do. And we're like, we already did that one. We already went through that storyline with these characters. Come up with something new. And so and now I'm trying to look up uh, Seth Rollins. The Shield. It was The Shield. The Shield, that's right. Yes. I, I was way up. off. I knew I was. I almost had the authority, <laughs> and that was – vince's group but i was like oh no it's the shield yeah when the shield came up the and shield. They, they made they made oh they're the greatest dominating force ever in wrestling and i was like there's so many other groups that are better i felt forced on me that group now i like them individually um i watch i'm not big on john moxley and aew that much but aew i don't like john moxley aew needs some polish hopefully it it lasts the distance, but they need some some discipline. They need to get on the road. That's what I think. They spend too much time yeah. together. So the product suffers and they're signing some big names. 
but I, I just see they need that they need that polish as marcus and i they say need a, a little bit of a push it's that one big they're always setting up for the one big shot and it's and you can just tell it throughout the match and they just they're all about the big the big move i'm like it doesn't always have to be all about the big move young bucks just yeah but entertain I us. Go a little bit yeah i mean and so hopefully now that we've talked about wrestling you'll get back into it a little bit uh, it sucks right now. They're in a weird transition where the network is going to Peacock. Yeah, I saw that the other day. Um, between that and it, I didn't like the whole like fake audience that they're doing right now, which oh, I understand yeah. they have to, but it really weirds me out. And I think that's a big reason because it used to be I'd watch on like YouTube or something like that after it would air. Yeah. And now I just kind of watch whatever random matches Marcus texts me link to. Oh, nice. I got in. I was on uh I was in the SmackDown audience. Oh know, yeah, I think screen. I remember you posting something about that. Did not see myself once. Um <laughs> I don't like it because the wrestling fan that I am, when wrestlers come out, I cheer for the ones I like. And you yeah. they, they're in your speaker going, Oh, here comes the bad guy or whatever. Boo them. And I'm like, I'm not booing that guy. Then I'm I'm Orton. Yeah. And so I was like, I hate that they force the reaction. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Sorry, WWE, I'm giving away your stuff. But <laughs> let us cheer like we want and let it come through the uh, you know speakers yeah. how it is, not manipulate it. It'll be the only natural thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be so interesting once they get back to live audiences because they won't be able to do all this off-camera stuff like a lot of the the bray Wyatt and alexa bliss randy orton stuff won't be able to happen because you can do all the stuff off camera and nobody sees it and you when you're in the screens you get the same view as you're watching on tv it's not like you have a particular yeah of the of the actual ring so when they let bray on fire that just happened you missed that but um maybe i'll look it up yeah it, it definitely i mean Everyone's like, how they do it? And I was like, they cut away once. Like they showed Randy left the ring and they and I go, they rolled Bray out and put someone else in. I was like, it's great off-camera work, but they're not gonna be able yeah. to do that once we get the fans back in their place and such. They're having and, uh, fun while they can. And AEW had like they could have used no fans in the place because their last pay-per-view they had exploding bob wire match. And oh. it, I might have to look this up. It was the worst pyro went off like i don't think the big one went off it looked like they were really diving and ducking from like sparklers and like maybe a few explosions it was really sad it was really really sad and and i guess the the joke is that kenny omega set it up and you know he was a big god or whatever I, and so it, it was bad and I mean, it's all online about this and oh yeah everything and and it made at the end Eddie Kingston came out to save John Moxley from the explosions and it, he oversold it because he thought it was going to be bigger and it wasn't like it was supposed to be. And it just looked really sad. <laughs> I, I kind of felt, I felt bad for them all. I was like, Oh, I was like, cut to another camera or something. This looks terrible. Or at least, <laughs> or have Eddie get up and be like, what? I thought this was supposed to explode, you know, like at least play. Yeah. Off. Something. Yeah. And so I was like, not impressed, but I don't know how you have an exploding barbed wire match, like, and make it look good. Yeah, that sounds difficult. Yeah, a barbed wire, I, I understand, and they pull out some of the, the barbs to not cut you up as much, but I've seen those. But when stuff explodes, kind of the oversells almost comical sometimes. Yeah, it's not it. packing too much into one thing. Yeah, definitely. What What do you think was like? the cra uh, craziest match you've seen live live i've only yeah. been to a couple of live ones um when i was younger we went to the casper event center and marcus was dressed up as sting nice and sting poked his head out from the back and was like pointing at marcus and stuff and he was all giddy like a little girl yeah um and i mean i don't I think I was just so jazzed about being there that I don't even really remember any of the matches. Um, before it, my friend Rihanna and I were walking around and I don't know, I was like maybe eight or nine uh. and 
we ran into uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and Scott Hall did the whole AO thing and flicked his toothpick at us. And at the time, Scott Hall was like my favorite in the entire world. And so I think that I was just so jazzed about that, that I don't even really remember any of the matches. (laughs) That would be it is an eight-year-old to see those guys and get those kind of reactions, Sting popping his head out and calling Nash. Oh, that'd be yeah, awesome. awesome. I was at, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. We went to Phoenix a couple of years ago for my birthday at the end of January and uh, caught the, it was Monday Night Raw, I believe. And it was me and Rihanna and Jimbo was actually down there too. And one of our other friends, and I'd say probably the most fun match of that night that we saw, or maybe it was SmackDown, that uh, was the Lucha House Party. Yeah, those guys are are silly. Yeah, they flip around <laughs> and do a lot of like amazing stuff. And oh, I think yeah. if I tell people I watch wrestling, I was like, sure, the outcome may be predetermined, but the injuries are real. The stuff they do in the ring is real. Like it's amazingly talented. It's, I go it's stunt people with a storyline. Like um, I'm in and I enjoy it quite a lot. Uh, my craziest match. Well, I guess was the first ever elimination chamber. Um, okay. But it wasn't the pay-per-view. It was um, the, how, no, I'm going to call it Halloween Havoc. That's WCW. Yeah. Uh, not that it was uh not Hell in a Cell, um, Survivor Series. Okay. And it was at Madison Square Garden. I was living in New York and I got tickets and Shawn Michaels wins the Elimination Chamber to retain, get the title, not retain it. That's awesome. He had been on, he'd been retired for a long time and everything. Like he'd just come back uh, from, you know, after the big old neck and back surgeries and injury mm-hmm. that nobody thought he'd come back from. And yeah, one. And like Triple H, I think, heard his larynx in there. It was, it's a great match to see on TV because you have the cameras up in and everything. Yeah, but you can see when, everything. Yeah, like I'm, mean, you're at one angle live, and I, you know, you have one corner. And so you're kind of seeing it happen, but you don't get to see all the good stuff unless you look up on the big screens and such. But it's great. Madison Square Garden, Elimination Chamber. Yeah, that's awesome. wrong or that. Yeah. Like that was a great thing about like living in New York was everything went there. Wrestling was there. They had the downtown wrestling place in Manhattan as well. WWE had their, their uh, shop there. So, I mean, when wrestling was exploding, I was living in New York towards the end of that nineties, two thousands and such. And yeah, I got to see some cool things where I was at a nitro uh, on Long Island and uh i was on tv holding a sign that says harlem heat 2k and it was it was uh stevie ray and ahmed johnson Mm -hmm. come over he wasn't ahmed johnson i can't remember what his name was for (laughs) harlem heat and so uh stevie ray looks over and points at my sign and everyone's like, "Wow, oh, you got on TV. I was like, yeah, I better have because nobody had a Harlem Heat sign in that place. I was, like, awesome. I was marking for them, even though they weren't my favorite at the time, but I knew I was going to get me on TV. Yep. So, yeah, that's the key. Yeah, that's the key. And I don't dressed up as a, oh, wait, I did. One Halloween, I dressed up as Triple H. I grew out the, the Lemmy sideburn chop. Awesome. Yeah, I grew out a beard so I could shave it all down complete opposite of how I wear my facial hair. Um, I had the wig taped my hands, like had them perfectly taped by triple, like triple H. I was a roommate with a guy that was a UW trainer. So he taped them perfectly. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Like wore like, like rip away pants. So like I keep my legs, you know, warm. It's winter. Yeah. Wyoming. Everything had triple H shirt, but yeah, that was a good one. And, at the time, like it's funny, met a friend that is a huge wrestling fan as well. Um, he was dressed up as Nikki Six, and we weren't friends yet. And we're like, oh, "I love you, I love you," you know, like that's a great they costume. Friendship. Yeah, instant friendship. And turns out, I love Molly Crew, and he was a big old wrestling fan, so it, was, it worked out well there. One more question for you. Yeah. And uh, 
ask us of everyone usually ends podcast or leads to other questions i guess how do we meet i have no idea um between love joys when i would go in there when i was not old enough to be in there <laughs> um and jimbo i don't know i there's a lot of people in my life from around that time that I feel like we're just just there. It was definitely yeah, I have no memory of how we met. I'm gonna either go Jimbo or Alex. Has to be one of those two. I think it and was before Alex. Before Alex, then. But I, it, I that's funny because we were talking about Alex the other night, and uh, I was telling my boyfriend about this one night with his brother and stuff, but. Before we were, before that story took place, we were at your house, me and you and him. And I want to say you had just gotten that cat, Carl, uh, or it was still really little. Yeah. You were living over by Mulligan's, I want to say. Yep. Seventh, South Seventh. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Right around there. Um, because, and like, I say this with you and Marcus, I feel like. I should have known you guys longer because you are Laramie people and I'm a Laramie guy and it's just eventual how like, Oh yeah. Circle of friends end up hanging out of Laramie and stuff. And so, but it was probably more industry related, even though you guys do all the real work. I was just a DJ. And, <laughs> um, but yet I hung like our Lovejoy's group would go hang out library or our library come to Lovejoy, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, industry. And so you got to know everyone um, in the drinking circles, the people that went out and drank and stuff. And yep. so probably that way. And then it's that instant, oh, you're a wrestling fan too? Oh, yeah. We're lifelong yep. friends now. Oh, yeah. We're friends. We're friends. Now. <laughs> yeah. We're friends now. And so we can hang anytime. Like, because I can talk yeah. wrestling about any moment. And it's great. And like, it's great. I had Jimbo on last, yeah, last week. Wow. That's and awesome to talk wrestling and everything. So I get my good fill of good wrestling fans on the show. Hmm, I wonder why I bring yeah, in all the wrestling fans. That's so crazy. I would never expect that. Yeah. So I can talk about it. It's good. And watch about it. And I'm, you know, my, my buddy's probably sending me messages too right now about wrestling that we run the radio station. The guy that, that does uh, CBJ radio with me, our new station name now I'm part owner and everything. There'll be commercials nice. around this show and such. Uh, He's a big old wrestling fan. And that was kind of when we were in broadcasting together at the University of Wyoming. Um, we met actually through friends of a, a mutual friend. Even though we had classes together, we really didn't hang until yeah. people told each other. Like our friends said, "There, you're a wrestling fan. He's a wrestling fan. You guys should talk. And we did. And we liked all the same wrestling. Pretty much been best friends ever since. Yeah. That's and awesome. Like NWO time. I remember we'd watch Monday night, Monday night Nitro and Monday Night Raw together. Um, we didn't tell each other. We both bought NWO shirts, and I show up at his house to watch wrestling, and he's got his on, and I got mine on. And That's I was like, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And so, yeah, and now he's all into collecting the new figures and everything. He keeps on sending me pictures, and I was like, wow, collectaholic, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a pricey, pricey collection after a while. Yeah, he's been telling me to, like – a lot of them, like particular ones, are are more expensive and harder to get than other ones. And I'm he, sure he doesn't want to get the young bucks. He's not a fan, but he's like, I have to get him to complete the set. And I was like, Of course, yep. you have to get them to complete the set. Yeah, you can't play favorites when you're a collector. No, no, it's hard. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's uh, wrestling brings the world together. You know, it and does. So it does. And I'm glad it's still around today because we can talk about it in a podcast at any moment. Maybe we'll right? have a big group podcast of wrestling fans. That and, sounds like mayhem. Yeah. Well, I'd have to like give topics and we'd, I'd have to be like, I would have to have some control on it. Otherwise it would be total, total mayhem. We'd all just start yelling at each other. I can uh, hear it. It'd have to be, I'd be like, all right, who's your Mount Rushmore wrestlers go, you know, something like that. Yeah. That would be, a, that's a hard one to debate. But it's a hard one to debate. All right. Well, I want to. I want to thank you for your time for yeah, being on the show. No when are you coming to Laramie? 
Um, actually, I was just talking to Jimbo about it the other day. I think we're going to try and hit up uh, CSU oh, in nice. Laramie this year. Um, but the summer is the busy season up here. Uh, where I live is um, like the fly fishing capital of North America, essentially. Uh-huh. So we get crazy busy up here. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we'll have a chance to dip down until football season. Work hard during the summer so you can play hard the rest of the year. That's what my goal is. Work so I can only have to, or I only have to work part-time in the winter. So. Oh, man, that'd be the dream. Yep, I'm trying. I'm going to try. Well, good luck with that, and thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. We'll talk to you later. I've said it before, and I will say it again. I love talking to fellow wrestling fans and especially the ones that like to dress up like Macho Man at any given time. Good people right there. Makes these good people in my book. Folks, I want to do these interviews face-to-face sooner than later. Get that vaccine. And until you do, mask up, social distance, wash your hands, stay home if you got to. Be the solution to ending this pandemic. And also, this is the last episode of season one. I can't believe it's been a a full year almost. And there will be a season two. Thank you for listening. On to season two.